Hey, everybody. Welcome into Eminem and M across the board. Ashley Miller, Sean Martin, Eric McDowell here with you again this week. And again this week, we are going to go around the NFL because why not? Everybody loves the NFL. Week two of the NFL. Guys, we ha- had some surprising, strange performances. And then you get some teams who rebound, some teams who bounce back like you think they should, and other teams who are still in the tank or other people who you know, have just totally fallen off, off the ledge. And again, we're in week two. So we'll do some overreactions, uh, big performances, that kind of thing. We're going to go into the New York Yankees and what the last, what has happened the last two decades. Um, we'll call it a demise. It's not quite a demise, but we'll break it down and, and what that has led to and how Brian Cashman still has a job. Uh, and we're and also going to go into I'm, something. I'm yeah. sorry uh, to both of you that I knew the Yankees going to be discussed, but couldn't find a Yankee hat in this house. Wonder why. Oh, I could have helped you, Audi. I have a ton of those. <laughs> and then our last topic of the day will be something that's kind of unique. And um, because of the different perspectives that we all bring, I think this could go a lot of different ways. But we're going to go with media, coach, player relations and experiences that all of us have had being on the other side. Um, and I think our various jobs definitely lend different stories that will be kind of interesting and take people a little bit behind the scenes. We'll peel the curtain back a little bit uh, to our experiences, which will be kind of cool. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, you can find us on Twitter at MMMATB1. Uh, we're also on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify. So follow along, share the content, give us some ideas for topics you want to hear about, some suggestions, and we'd be happy to do it. So uh, round one, NFL, fight. Eric, that's you. Well, folks, NFL, you want answers? Well, I've got questions. How's that? <laughs> exactly. Here's some takeaways from the week on my side. The Denver Broncos at 2-0. and Yes, the Broncos at 2-0. and And Bridgewater has proven to be the perfect QB so far. 54 for 70, 579 yards, four TDs, great start. Yes, Ashley, high five. Yeah, and, we got it. But it's What did you put in your coffee this morning? Oh, I got, want some. I've yeah. got a lot of coffee coming up here. Yeah. The Carolina Panthers are two and zero with Sam Darnold. Yes, three hundred yard game and a blowout over the Saints. He and Christian McCaffrey are looking mighty fine. Okay, about the defense allowing the least points, least passing yards, least rushing yards. Think about that. So Matt is ruling the roost in Charlotte. Now Zach Wilson was atop the mountains at BYU. But now he is 0-2, and fans of the gang green are already making a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> it's a very young team. We said this. The offensive line is still transitioning to his own scheme. He has to take a deep breath, like his kid in New England, and stop forcing throws and thinking he has to make something big happen on every play for the Big Apple fans. Otherwise, those throws will lead to something big happening the other way when those apples are picked. The QBs are on sacks. Yes, they are in the training room. Taylor, Dalton, Tua, where have we heard this before? Wentz all went down. This is after the Washington football team, of course, lots fits magic. Now, next man up is not just a saying. It's a marketing tool in the NFL for offensive coordinators. And lastly... What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. How about those 2-0 Raiders in Pittsburgh on a short week, no less? Okay. I, I think now I'll throw a short screen to Mr. Martin. 
because that would make Carr proud. Oh, yeah. You know, let me gather my thoughts real quick and just have a <laughs> sip of coffee. Listen, as a non-Raiders, I think the Raiders are one of the biggest surprises in the NFL. But he, Derek Carr, has, has made football look so easy. And last week, I, just the throws that he made, so easy. I was so impressed. Take it away. Uh, yeah, we'll start with the Raiders. Carr, Carr's in his fourth year in Gruden's system, and he's comfortable, and he's locked in. And, and outside of the first half of the Raven game, where the only guy he threw to was Darren Waller, um, He's now gotten Brian Edwards involved. Henry Ruggs had a, a couple big catches last week, including a 60-yarder for the, the game-clinching touchdown. Third and Renfro. Uh, if you don't know about Hunter Renfro, take a look. <laughs> the guy the guy looks like he could almost be a jockey on a horse, but yet he's uh, just an incredible receiver, and they go to him on third down. He catches everything. But the biggest thing with the Raiders is it's the defense. Max Crosby's been balling out for two weeks. They are aggressive. They are getting after the quarterback. They're forcing turnovers. Paul Gunther was the defensive coordinator a few years prior to this, and he had a read and react system, which I don't know how that plays uh, in today's NFL. It's too fast, and offenses are too sophisticated, and if you're giving them something, I heard it was too complicated, And uh, but the proof is in the pudding. Gus Bradley's come in, and that's an active defense, and, and again, Max Crosby has just been destroying offensive tackles on his way to the quarterback for two games. Um I do want to talk about Carolina with Sam Darnold. Good for Sam Darnold. Loved him coming out of USC. I thought he kind of got a bad rap in New York because a quarterback's not going to do anything if he's on his Everybody back. Everybody gets a bad rap in New York. Oh, uh, you're right. But it's where quarterbacks go to die. Good for him for for uh, for going to Carolina and getting two and zero. They got the Texans this week with a with a new quarterback making his first start. And good for the Panthers for finally having a quarterback that can win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and and yeah look I'll address Denver because Eric did and I'll get into a few others in a few minutes congratulations donkey fans you beat the Jags and the Giants okay and you get the Jets at home this week so Mm -hmm. the NFL did you a favor with that schedule wait till you get some real teams on your schedule and then you can start flapping your gums yeah (laughs) yeah no I don't I don't disagree I think we'll see see the real Broncos in the next three, four weeks. Um, for sure. My biggest thing, uh, my biggest takeaway is we figured it would be an overreaction, but how much of an overreaction was our, our knee jerk to the Packers? The Packers will be fine. Their defense sucks. Plain and simple. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to score 30 points a game with that offense in order to, you know, prevent Kevin King from giving away a touchdown every drive. Um, Jared Goff, Listen, they had a couple key turnovers in the second half, and that really played into the Packers' hand. But the Packers will be just fine. The other takeaway I had was the Cowboys and Titans are as good as we thought they would be because they found the running game. They found Ezekiel Elliott. The Dallas Cowboys offensive line manhandled the defensive. I mean, like every hole that opened, I could have run through, but Ezekiel Elliott goes flying through. And same thing with the Titans against the Seahawks. Once they figured it out, when Derrick Henry has 237 all-purpose yards, that team is going to win a ton. So I think those teams will be just fine. I still think the Titans and the Cowboys are the best teams in their division because they have found the run game as long as they continue to do that. Um, but yeah, the Packers will be fine again. They're the best team in their division. So we saw those teams that struggled in week one that we thought would be maybe the best in their division kind of come up for, for air again, and they are who we thought they were, I think. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's nice to see Derrick Henry come back to life. That touchdown run Ooh. reminded me of an Amtrak train from New York to L.A., okay? I don't think there was anybody near him, and I don't think anybody would even try to stop him. But uh, it's early in the season, and so it's also good to give love to the Lions, you two, because I mm-hmm. don't think we can say anything about the Lions when we get into the winter months. But talk I don't like the term culture 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 all right but that's a different team they're not yep. quitting the playing really hard and ann campbell that was born to be a head coach that guy i would run through the wall for him and after the nightmare that they had with patricia uh they finally got a guy that they can rally around i think football is a sport at all levels where the coach he runs out on the, on the field and he's the leader and he can make a difference and he can be rah-rah and when you've been in that locker room from pr side and you see everybody just, you hear the term, lose the locker room. If you lose the locker room, it's going to be over. But when you have those guys at any level, any age, looking you in the eye and believing in you, things can change with the culture. Yeah, yeah. one other overreaction from last week was New Orleans. They looked so good against Green Bay. Uh, and then they went to Carolina and got their doors blown off. And that's just the NFL. Anybody, any team could beat any any other team at any week and that's just the law of averages i mean we're we're through two weeks and you have five unbeaten teams in the nfc and two in the afc that's mm-hmm. it uh with with the vegas and 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 denver that just tells you the parity of the league and you never yep. know from week to week um it's crazy stuff um but yeah yeah i, I enjoyed the tennessee game mostly because i have derrick henry yeah. on two of my fantasy teams and he's helped uh me too nerd alert yeah. He's helped my Acker get two-week uh, standings to be five and one. Mm-hmm. So we're rolling, especially in our Godzilla Media League. Yeah, yeah. That is our and proud that, sponsor of our show. You know, that's also – I think that's also Jameis Winston. We talked about it, and we had said Jameis Winston is like a wild roller coaster. Right. You might get five touchdowns and no interceptions the first week, and then you might get no touchdowns and two interceptions the second week. And that is why when you say Jameis Winston is your starting quarterback, you have to be prepared – for the highs and lows of Jameis Winston. Um, and I think we're going to see that all throughout the year with, with the New Orleans Saints. They are going to go how Jameis goes. And there are many, many teams who you can say that for, but there are fewer quarterbacks in the NFL that have the highs and lows of Jameis Winston. The and Buffalo nice. Bills. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Again, another overreaction. Um, <laughs> I, they came out and did exactly what they had to do. I understand that the Dolphins lost to a, but I think we saw – just how good like we talked about the Dolphins being the second best team the Dolphins and the I said the Patriots but we talked about the Dolphins and the Patriots being kind of the second best teams in that division and we saw how much better the Bills are than the Dolphins when they want to be so I I think Bills fans can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that their team will be fine um and listen the Dolphins are I love Jacoby Brissett but the Dolphins will struggle without Tua and I think they may have even struggled with Tua if he's your starting quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. It's early in the season, but we saw a statement game. The Baltimore Ravens at home on Monday night under the lights. What a phenomenal shootout that was. And we always talk about COVID and the effects it's had on teams. The Ravens hadn't been affected by COVID. It's been plain old injuries, Mm -hmm. just tons of injuries after camp. And yet Harbaugh gets the job done. That's a statement game to everybody that if you – that the Kansas City Chiefs can be beaten and you can get into a shootout. But that was a tremendous uh, opener for Baltimore, and they needed a nice uh, positive thing to happen, and they're one-and-one with a million other teams. Yeah, you know, and the Chiefs, look, Pat Mahomes is a great quarterback. Mm -hmm. not saying he's not, right? He makes incredible throws, different angles, seems to get out of trouble all the time, but he also makes 
horrifically stupid mistakes. He threw that ball up the other night with the game on the line. It got picked off. Yeah, I get it. He's trying to make a play, but sometimes you just got to eat it and live to see the next play. So he's got to figure out a way to harness that. And you might lose some great throws, but you also might might save yourself some turnovers, interceptions. The other team that I, you know, the Jets. Look, I was banging on the Jets a few weeks ago for getting rid of Darnold and, and drafting Zach Wilson because he had a great pro day. Yeah, good quarter, good season at BYU, but the pro days really would set him on fire. Think about it. The 49ers traded three future first-round picks for Trey Lance to get up to that third spot. The Jets were sitting two, and everybody thought Wilson was generally regarded as the next as the next guy after Trevor Lawrence. The Jets could have gotten a bounty of draft picks for that and turned them into maybe even a player or two and helped that team, and you already had a quarterback. Now you still don't have any depth, and you have a rookie quarterback. You completely start over. I love their coach, but it's going to be a long year there. We'll see how Wilson does this week in Denver. And he was out of his league last week. There's no way a rookie quarterback in the second start matched up with Bill Belichick for a week. There's no way that's going to end well for for the Jets. And a big smile, Eric, and well-deserved. It's not going to happen. We'll see how he rebounds, and we may see what the kid's made of this week. Ashley, what do you think of uh, talking about what Sean said with the big trade? Look what the Bears gave up to get Fields. And now we're two weeks in, and all the fans are already clamoring to have the Fields of Dream at Soldier Field. Is he ready? Yeah, listen, I don't think he is, but I don't think because I don't treat him any differently than it's clear that Zach Wilson isn't ready. Um, It's clear that Trevor Lawrence isn't ready. Not I'm not saying they're not ready, like to go out and win football games, but they don't have the like Trevor Lawrence doesn't have the team around him to be successful. So these guys are and neither does Zach Wilson, to be honest. These guys are not set up for success. So we put so much on the quarterback and I understand Listen, some of those passes by Zach Wilson were terrible. There's no getting around it. Those last two passes, he just chucked them up. And, you know, listen, I I could have made bad decisions like that. Um, but they're not ready because they don't have what they need around him. I, again, I think Justin Fields probably has a better team in Chicago than mm-hmm. the Jets and the Jags. But I'm not sure that he's ready. We saw a really bad pick six by him. We saw... I mean, terrible decisions by Joe Burrow. I think three interceptions in a row by him, a pick, a pick six from yeah. Roquan Smith against yeah. Burrow. So, like, listen, even these second-year guys and third-year guys who we had dubbed, like, the next coming, it takes a while. And you need to – there's a reason that they were picked so high because their teams are so bad. So, like, you need to give teams time to then build around them. Whether or not they do, that's a whole different story. But these are all guys who, like, sure, they have bright futures, but – they're put in really poor positions. And so every time they make a, a mistake, it's going to be magnified. And we've seen that very early on for all these young QBs with the exception of Mac Jones. But you know what? He got picked what 15th overall. It's a team that's sort of in the middle of the pack. And Oh, by the way, they have Bill Belichick. So he's the one who's looking like the genius who took the guy in the middle and has, has set him up to succeed. And which is why another reason why I think we thought, Oh, good pick for rookie of the year because he's in a different situation than all these other quarterbacks. Yeah, they'll set him up for success. And I don't know what it is that New England can do, why they can do that, and the other teams can't. Maybe it's just that the Pats have a little more offensive weapons around mm-hmm. than Jacksonville, you know, the other the other teams you just mentioned. And maybe that's it, and it's a luxury for them. But, yeah, to expect much from rookie quarterbacks, it's got to be the right situation. It's got to be a special talent. And I was just ripping on Mahomes a little bit, not saying the guy's not great. All right. He's just got, you know, he tries sometimes and he gets a little too risky. But here's a guy that they traded up for a few years ago and um, then took the world by gangbusters. 
So it is possible, but it, it, we keep talking about being in the right setting. He was in it. I think Mac Jones is in it, and the other guys are going to have to find their way over the next year or two. Well, Zach Jones, I think the best way to put it is that he is set up to not fail. Okay, He is not going to be forcing things because of the fact it is more of a running game now. Uh, they believe in him. Uh, I, I really think uh, that New England's going to be in good shape because they don't have to force this kid. The Brady thing is over. It's done. It's over with. He doesn't have to throw for 300 yards. But Bill is always, Belichick has always been able to make a dinner of whatever's hanging out in the kitchen, and it works. Except this year, they finally said, spend the money. He called DoorDash, and now there's people like Henry and the two tight ends. Uh, Smith is a lot more weapons, but they've got great running game. So I think he will is set up to not fail, and it, his confidence will grow. And McDaniels is one of the best offensive coordinators we've seen. He's right there, and you don't see him yelling and going off. That's what these other young quarterbacks have to have as a patient offensive coordinator to sit down with the kid and just say, that was good effort. Bounce back. You're going to be okay. Try it this way. You've got to have that support. Yeah, I think a perfect example of a guy who's been set up to succeed is Kyler Murray. Listen, his tools are off the charts. He does things that nobody else in the NFL can do. Not Patrick Mahomes, not anybody. Um, but he was taken by the Cardinals, who were at the time a bad team, and he now has weapons. They have a defense. They have Chandler Jones on defense. Like They have pieces that can make this team really good. Of course he's going to succeed. But at the same time, he extends plays that no one else is extending. Like, he's not getting sacked on plays where he should get sacked on. The, the, the move where he spun back out to the outside through across his body <laughs> off his back foot to a guy who was wide open, unbelievable. And I, 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 it, nobody else in the league is doing that. Nobody. <clears throat> one game I wanted to talk about on the schedule this week, and uh, Tampa at the Rams couple unbeaten teams. Yeah. Um, I think this is the day the Rams stamped themselves as the best in the NFC mm -hmm. uh, for at least the early part of the year. Matt Stafford's looking great. The defense has been good. Tampa Bay's defense hasn't really looked that good yet. Right. Um, they have a lot of the same guys. They'll probably come around. But uh, I think Mr. Brady's first visit to L.A., first game, uh, is going to go very, very sideways for them, and the Rams are going to knock them down on Saturday. I'm curious what you guys think about that. Play the over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I agree with that. I think the Rams, they've been the sexy pick for the bowl. But as we said on previous show, Stafford is just having a, a grand old time out there. And and Donald and just a dominant defense. They have impact players in impact positions. And this could be the Rams statement uh, to take to take Tampa down. And, and I think they could do it at home. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a statement. I'll be interested to see what the spread on this game is. If there is an early one, do you know, Sean? I do not. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what the spread is. I'll go Bucks here um, just because I think when Tom Brady wants to win, he wins, and he <laughs> always wants to win. Um, but it, it will certainly tell us everything we need to know about the Rams. Are they good? Are they the cream of the crop? Are they what everyone thought they would be with Matthew Stafford? Or are the Bucks still the Bucks? You know what I mean? So I think this is a, a really intriguing game. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams win, um, but I, I'll take the Bucks. All right. Well, on that note, let me get my helpers out here. <laughs> <clears throat> the current supply and demand challenges within the auto industry makes this a perfect time for you to get top dollar for your vehicle. Right now at Mohawk Honda, you can take advantage of the Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. They'll put cash in your hand for your vehicle the same day you come in, and even if you don't buy it from them. 
That's a pretty sweet deal, especially for those recent college graduates or students in need of a new ride or some extra cash. Mohawk Honda has consistently kept their lot fully stocked with hundreds of pre-owned vehicles. Their large inventory makes shopping fun as you browse through the many makes and models to choose from. You can also check out their full selection online. So stop in, say hi to Greg Johnson, the assistant general manager. Jake Hot Sauce Doyle, that's still the best uh, nickname I've heard in a while. Love it. <laughs> Luis, the man, the VIP man Morales, or one of the many helpful sales consultants they heard at Mohawk Honda. There's a vast selection of Honda certified pre-owned vehicles, so now is the time to take advantage of the Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer. Mohawk Honda in Glenville, where you can always, where, where they always go out of their way to please you. New York Yankees. Right. Still in okay. it. Still so dragging me along. Outside, yeah, sorry, Ashley. Ugh. So outside of a probably a 13-day, 13-game stretch off the trading deadline, it's been a very difficult year in New York. And I just can't help but think back, if this were 10, 12 years ago, would Brian Cashman still have a job? And since the 2000 World Series title, they've been to the World Series three times, two losses. They did win in 09, but they have had eight times in that 20 years where they lost in the division series round, the first round, or the wildcard game and missed the playoffs four times. I'm just amazed at how Brian Cashman still has that longevity in the with the Yankees. It's They're the Yankees. They present themselves as the greatest franchise in the history of sports, and they certainly have the hardware to back it up. But since Hal Steinbrenner's taken over and pledged fiscal responsibility, Brian Cashman's now had to actually do his job rather than just having an open checkbook. And he's done it poorly. Aaron Boone needs to go. The team looks lifeless. We've talked about it in previous weeks. They look unemotional. They're the anti-Blue Jays. They just look like they're going mm -hmm. out and they're showing up for work rather than going to the ballpark to play a game. That matters. One of the things I go back to when I look at the Yankee culture is the expectations are through the roof. It's New York City. Guess what? That's what you sign up for. But I'm wondering if some of their issues is the back to the culture, the no facial hair thing. Sometimes when you take the individuality away from players, the player may suffer. The guy I think about is Jason Jombie when he signed back in the early 2000s. He came from the animal house locker room of the A's with the tattoos and the facial hair and the long hair, gets to New York, clean cut, freshly shaven, with, with a pad over his arm to cover up the tattoos. He was never quite the player in New York that he was supposed to be. And I just wonder if that Yankee image does take some of the personality away from them and make it a job, especially with heavy expectations, um, and does that weigh on teams over time. Curious what you guys think. I have a Red Sox fan and a Yankee fan here, so uh, interested in your thoughts. I'll go very quickly here. Uh, first of all, if you don't, if you can't get down with like the tradition of no facial hair and them covering, up, then don't go to New York. That like that to me, that's plain and simple. Whatever. That is not the reason that this team has no life. If it's because there's heavy expectations, I get it. But again, don't go to New York. Like this is, you know, what you're signing up for, and I'm sure the heavy expectations weigh, and that's part of like the grind. It becomes more like a job when you have to talk to the media and there's criticism, and making the playoffs isn't enough. But I can't get behind the the image and and taking away individuality. They still let you know Glaber Torres go out and be Glaber Torres and Rukneto Dor do bat flips and all the rest. Like these guys, it's up to these guys to have fun. And losing's not fun, but they're not losing enough to make it 
not make the game of baseball not fun anymore. All right, as the PR guy and the stat guy, I'm going to throw some names at you. And Ashley, I apologize, but I think you, you'll see the point here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the pitchers that they've developed since their last title in 09 that haven't been bought. Okay, these yep. are homegrown starting pitchers from looking at their rotations. Yep. Pettit, no question. Tremendous. Then you have Nova, Phelps, Green, Severino, Montgomery, and Germain. That's it. I'm not talking about a spot start. These are guys that were in the rotation, and some still are. That's all you've developed for pitchers in the New York Yankees system. Meanwhile, in Florida, let's take a look at some of the best starters since 2010 for the Tampa Bay Rays. Snell, Shields, Price, Archer. I know he struggled, but he had a good run. Casimir, now Glass now. What a difference. Okay, and then let's look at some of the Yankee free agent signings to remember or forget. Pavano, Burnett, Kei Higawa, remember him? Kenny Rogers, there's a guy that loved the Big Apple. Ellsbury and Jarrett Wright. Now, large contracts go to players past their prime. And the problem here, from what I see, is that they're spending money on guys in their early 30s that have had a great run, but they're not developing them. Okay, and we talk about a mountain. Well, all these guys are going this way. How about putting some money into the system, into the Dominican, okay? Or just go fly down to Tampa and ask them what they're doing right without the money. I think it's got to be a development, Ashley and Sean. Just put the money into development, Mm -hmm. and then you can look and see those players grow instead of just picking the fruit and veggies from everybody else. They're, they're, the Yankees have a good farm system. They just, the guys can't get up and crack the lineup because you got the big contracts up there. And I'm not blaming the culture necessarily as the biggest problem. I think the biggest problem is that Brian Cashman now has to be fiscally responsible and he can't do it. Um, they were well over the salary cap for a long, long time and it wasn't an issue. But now you look at this team this year, before the trade deadline, when they picked up Rizzo and Gallo, who, by the way, has 95 hits this year and 200 strikeouts. That's just who he is. Mm-hmm. The only left-handed bat in that lineup was Brett Gardner, and he's right. two years two years past where he really should be playing. I love right. Brett Gardner's career. He's a gamer. You need guys like that, right? Not but anymore. it's over for him, yep. and he shouldn't be your big left-handed bat in your lineup. So and who who's that on? That's on Brian Cashman, mm-hmm. right? Claybert Torres came in in the Aroldis Chapman trade a few years ago. Not a shortstop, and they just gave him a glove and said, have at it, kid. Well, he's not a very good shortstop. And they're they're just kind of they're staying with these guys. Gary Sanchez, that dude can't catch. I would okay? have traded that guy after his rookie year. <laughs> I would. I swear to God, every day I say, as a Yankee fan, I say, "Oh my God, I'll give him to the highest bidder, and I don't care if they don't give anything back for him. Just take him. Yeah, take him. But cost them games defensively. That term, chicks dig the long ball. Yeah, not I, when you have pass balls and guys. Nope. You can't to me, catch. the home run can never make up for poor defensive performance. And, and, never. And that's the thing with the Yankees. They're a team that over time, I go back X number of years, it's a team built to try and win by the long ball, not on defense. And that's they're a team built for the regular season. I've been saying it for a long time. You don't you face better now. pitching in October. You face good pitching in October. And you might get a fourth starter once a series in a long series, but you're facing the best of the best. Mm-hmm. If you're relying on the Earl Weaver's three-run home run philosophy in October, you're going to have a problem. And that's where the Yankees, I think, they struggle in playoffs. They can get there because they're built for 162 games. Eventually, they're going to mash, yep. right? But they get into the playoffs, and I think that's the biggest source of their in-playoff struggle is they just – you can't go into the playoffs expecting to win every game 8-6. to six. 
Yeah, I think you got it exactly right. Like this team's built for the long haul because, and we've seen it this year. You win thirteen, you lose ten. You win eight, you lo- it's it's a roller coaster for them. But that doesn't fly in the playoffs. You get a one game if you're in the one game wild card. Sure, you're sending Garrett Cole out there, but you're also facing somebody else's top starter. And at the end of the day, if Garrett Cole gives up two or three runs, well, guess yeah, guess what? You're screwed because that Yankees lineup isn't getting two or three runs off of anyone's top starter, at least not as they're currently built. It takes them like three or four times to even start getting hits in those situations. And we've seen that. Like Garrett Cole can lose playoff games as a starter for them because they just don't have the offense. The offense isn't there. And I yeah. wouldn't blame Garrett Cole. Like you give up two runs in a playoff start, big deal. But with that team, it, you just can't count on runs. Well, Garrett now Cole's with wild great... card too. Look at the wild card situation that, as I said last week, I think is that, okay, we're going to, we need to save Cole until Sunday to win that game. Oh, great. But he can't pitch in the uh, playoff game to get into the wild card. So who yeah. do we go at Montgomery? Well, another team has a guy like a glass no or a stud. I mean, you've got to have depth. And in looking over the rotations over yeah. the last 10, 15 years, folks, I look at their number three and go, oh my God, yeah. you can see what's <laughs> happening here. And again, I, I think they've got to develop players. And Sean, I, you may be right on that in the fact that they do have a farm system and they, they deal these prospects for guys. I was going to say, they trade them away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we used to watch the Staten Island Yankees here locally and we'd say, oh, these are really the Staten Island Pirates, the mm-hmm. Staten Island Royals. <laughs> They're never going to be a Yankee. Well, it's the funny part about the dynasty from the 90s and the early 2000s. They didn't go homegrown until George Steinbrenner got suspended in the early nineties. And then some patients, George, or Gene Michael, George, Gene Michael was running things and you brought up the Jeters and the Pettits and the Bernie Williams and the Posadas and they set themselves up and they've kind of not gone back to that um, as far as harvesting their own players. And, and you're right, Ashley, they do, they do sell off. And it was time ago that the hot free agent was going to go to New York and well, we'll just go sign Giambi. We'll go sign Musina. And it was happening. I don't think it's happening with the frequency. The coal signing was awesome. Because they need a horse. Yep. Right. You got to have that. And he may end up pitching them into the playoffs at the end of next week. We'll see. But again, he can only take the ball once every once every five days. Right. And right. it's not going to get you that far. Yeah. And listen, Severino, they've had injury issues. Severino is a great starter. And obviously he's had real he hasn't, I think his first game in 707 days or yeah. something yesterday. He came in through two innings. And looked good enough, but you're not going to give him the ball to start this season, I don't think. So he'll come out of the bullpen. They've also just had like really untimely and inconvenient slumps. Like Araldis Chapman was a world beater to start the season, and then he couldn't strike anyone out. I mean, you it literally got to the point where Aaron Boone couldn't stomach giving him the ball because he knew he was going to give up a lead. Chad Green has turned into the same kind of person at, at, at points this season. Like two weeks ago, you can't, you can't give him the ball. He's giving up leads all over the place. So there have been some really ill-timed and they all, everybody goes through it, but there have been some really ill-timed bullpen uh, downers, we'll call it. Um, and they've given back games that they've had the lead in, which is those are the games that kill you. Like if you get down early and you just can't come back to win a game, fine. But the games where you're up and you're giving back leads in the seventh, eighth and ninth innings, that is not, People are not going to get down with that. And listen, Garrett Cole the other day, he gets booed walking off the mound because he gave up. He had a bad game, but that's New York. And he gets it. He got asked about it. Um, We had talked about getting booed by the Mets. He said, it's New York. I get it. Like, I had a bad game. I'm going to get booed. 
That's what you need to hear. Go back out yep. there, pitch better the next time. Well, you, but listen, you, I talked about the last time we were on this podcast a week ago, I said the next eight games are huge for them. Well, they've gone five and three in, in the last eight games. It's not good enough, but now you're going to have to go out there and you can't back your, they've backed their way into postseasons before. There will be no backing your right. way into this postseason. You have to go out and win it because now you've got Toronto, Tampa, and Boston. All three of those teams are ahead of you. Go get it. You and go you've got it. doggies out west now too. Seattle's yep. beating up on Oakland, trying yeah. to bury them. They're not yep. both going to fall out of go it. So it. Seattle, you think, is out. So we forget about that. You're, and what's funny is last night to watch and say, is that Yankee fans, you're rooting for the Mets. Mm-hmm. You know, again, you're for the Mets and you're rooting for the race. Of the wild card. And the other thing is the injuries that they've had. It seemed yep. as though Stanton and Judge are back in the field, but it's almost like a, a Yankee uh, staff memo, Ashley, that when Stanton's hurt, Judge is hurt. Yeah. I don't know why that's the case. Together, Maybe Judge together. picked the wrong sport. I don't know. Hey, everyone's had injuries, though. And then Stan's a walking injury. I don't yep. think he owned a right. baseball glove till a month ago. Mm-hmm. But everyone's had them. I mean, look at Tampa Bay. They lost yes. guys now earlier in the year, and he's mm-hmm. going to miss most of next year, and they just keep rolling up, <laughs> right? Even the Red Sox, they didn't have Chris Sale until August. So they've, they've found a way. It's just a – but you look at the Yankee pitching failures, Eric, you read a bunch of the list, but you also talk about Sonny Gray that they got a few years ago as a top three Cy Young guy Terrible. for Oakland. From Oakland, yes. Was awful Terrible. with the Yankees. Goes to Cincinnati. He's had a couple nice years. Yeah. And that's New York. New York that's does New that. York. Not everyone's built for that. See right. Whitson, comma, Ed. Um, but Randy actually, you Johnson. Talked about, you <laughs> talked about the bullpen, Ashley. When's the last time the Yankees had to worry about their late-inning bullpen? It yeah, was probably 1995. You know, Rivera came up, I believe, in 96. He was a setup yeah. for John Wetland. They haven't had to worry about that in 26 years. Yeah. That's staggering. Uh, but this year, Chapman's just been terrible. Yeah. I mean, Adovino's out for the year. Like, just guys that are um, – yeah, just guys that – not Adovino. Adovino plays for the Red Sox. Uh, Zach Burton is out for the year. Like, there are guys who were good pitchers other places who Adovino never figured it out in New York. Zach, Zach Britton has yet to figure it out in New York. Um, and, and those are signings. When you're signing those guys, you think like, oh, well, they've been great other places. Why wouldn't they be great here? They just haven't figured it out, which is kind of stunning. Well, back then, everybody talked about Rivera, and justifiably so, but mm-hmm. they forget about Mike Stanton, yep. Soriano, those eight, yeah. those seven, eight guys they call the bridge. That was as important as the George Washington bridge. I mean, every game when it got to that inning, the dugout was deflated because you guess Piano, then Stanton, and then the closer. And uh, those days are gone. Yeah, they yeah, are. Sean, they are. Sean, I think part of the thing too is like it's almost when uh, when George was alive, just getting to the playoffs was not good enough. No. It has become, in a weird way, it has become good enough for this organization to just get there because it wasn't like world series or bust. That's no longer a thing for them. It's like, Oh, well, if you get to the division or the championship series, that's enough. Um, so at what point do you go back to being the old Yankees and say, no, that's not enough. Well, Hal, Stein, Hal Steinbrenner is more concerned about the bottom line on the profit mm-hmm. and loss statement. Okay. And you know what? Hey, it's a business. You want to make money, but do you, or do you want to go balls out like your dad did mm-hmm. for all those years? And you're right. It's not acceptable in New York. It's not acceptable by the fans. And that's got to be a tough pill to swallow yep. that, uh, hey, we're making money. Well, you're the Yankees. <laughs> you have the TV contract, the Yes Network and everything. You should be making money, but you're not. I don't think they're doing everything to win because, well, no, let me let me rephrase that. They're not 
disregarding the uh, salary cap limits to go win. It's it's no longer spend what you have to spend and let's go get it done. And and now it's again, it's about the bottom line and see if you can win within it. And they're not. And dad spent all that money, you two, without the Yes Network. That didn't exist back then. This was one of the first franchises that actually created its own sports network. We've seen uh, Masson with the Orioles, and we've seen Nesson in Boston. And and he did all that without this money. So I can't imagine what he would be thinking right now. (laughs) And it used to be you just had to win the division. But now that's not good enough because your division is – Second best in baseball, maybe. I mean, you have four teams who are legitimately in the playoff race right now. All four teams. And so it's not good enough to win the division. It's not even good enough to be second best in the division anymore. No, no not New York. Welcome to the big show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, gang, fall is officially here, and that means changes may be coming to your home. Does your furnace need to be replaced, or are you looking for an upgrade for your heating system? Johnstone Supply and Troy can make sure your home is heated properly for this colder weather that's on the way. The family-owned and operated business, Johnstone Supply and Troy, has been helping upstate New York residents for decades. Visit their store on 6th Avenue in Troy for more information on how they can help you this fall. Whether it's finding the proper change for your filters or making sure your home is heated properly for the new weather, Johnstone Supply and Troy staff can help you answer any questions you may have. From George to Tom. And many more. The staff is looking forward to seeing you. Follow them on Facebook or call them today at 518-272-5922. Johnstown Supply in Troy. Now for what should be a very interesting segment. Ashley. I think Eric will have the most interesting stories of this uh, this segment. I don't know that I have much to provide here, but I think the the most interesting thing is I'm I'm – intrigued to hear all of your stories and just see how they compare and contrast uh, from our various situations. But all of us are members of the media. We've all dealt with, we've had the pleasure of dealing with players, coaches, staffs, you know, higher ups in organizations, whether it be the college, the professional level, the high school level, even um, around here in Albany, New York. Uh, So I think we have a unique perspective when we can peel back the curtain a little and take people inside some of our experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, so let's start with Eric, because I think Eric, you will have some of the more interesting stories just because of the various levels that you've worked at. I've been in this market my entire life. So mine will be a little bit more restricted and feel free to leave out name. I will personally leave out <laughs> names in various situations. You may not have to. I'm naming names. Do it. I'll name my name and that's it. We'll start. There's a couple of stories that come to mind. Uh, the NCAA does have a cool down period of 10 minutes. And when you're working in an NCAA tournament, uh, you know that when a team loses the coach and everybody's going to be really upset because they had a great year to make the tournament. Uh, I had a hockey coach in a D1 NCAA tournament and just blew up. He was on the ice after because of a late penalty call, which was a good call, by the way. So we went over to the locker room, pulled him aside, and I knew him from – from other events. And I just said, I looked him in the eye and I said, 10 minutes. Do you need more? Do you need more? Promise me. I don't want to see you get fined. I don't want to see you go out like this. He gets right up the pony. I'm ready, Eric. And he blew up. He just lost it. There's just so much a PR person could say, but the minute he went off with the F words and all that, his wife looked at me and we just hugged each other. Can't change the personality. Now, a national team in a regional men's basketball final. This is the regional final before the final four, okay? Team had a phenomenal year, like one loss, okay? 
I get, of course, assigned to the losing team to escort because I'm the veteran here. So that's, I guess, positive, but try to calm them down. Right. Uh, he wanted just a few moments with the team. Well, after the 10 minutes, I have to push the door. So does the other medical person for these samples. You know about that rule where oh, you have to boy. check on players. That's not fun because if one of them is pulled, all the media as right. So you would think something happened. He didn't violate. He just was selected as one of the two players for a sample. Well, anyway, after the 10 minutes, we push the door in. I walk right up. He's talking to the team. I said, coach, it's time. Let's get it done. Then you can come back and talk to your men. He stared at me. I thought he'd either jump me, bury me, swear at me. He looked right at me and said, okay, because he knew I was on his side just helping him. Got him out of there, got his spiel, got him back in the locker room as much time as he wanted. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're humans and they care about their kids. And last yep. one, um, beat writers are very close to coaches, not what they used to be in, in baseball where they travel with the team and they'd see bad things and hear stuff and didn't report it. But media has to have a relationship with a coach when you're a beat writer. It's different than a columnist where they may pop in and see a game every month. But the beat writer has to have a relationship. They don't have to be huggy and love each other, but they have to respect each other's jobs. Okay. And I had a prominent football coach who just couldn't stand the beat writer. Every Sunday at Fail Me, just rip them up and down. I said, look, <laughs> we gotta, we've got to get the relationship on the same page. Okay. He's not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Trust me. So I knew what they liked for breakfast. And I said, this is on me. And I had the two of them come for an early morning breakfast, just the three of us, okay? And it was great. I started off by talking about family, talking about each one and say, you know what? We're all human beings. We love what we do and get them on a positive page. Mm -hmm. And so once that happened, we got into the meat and potatoes, not the plate, but with the two of them and <laughs> solved that. So these are stories about trying to make coaches understand the media mm -hmm. because as well as the other side. And so coaches do need the media and they have to have the relationship. And as far as I'm concerned, it is the PR person or the athletic media relations or VP of PR that has to be the conduit and make sure that that relationship is workable. I think the problem you have, and great points, Eric, you have guys like Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Ah. They've, okay, they've ah. earned their place, okay, in they, their legacy is there. What what bothers me? Look, I'll never interview them. Most likely, they're to me it's arrogant, and to talk down to a reporter to me is just yeah. it's a disservice, and yeah. it's not a job description. We've talked about it on the show before, but it is part of the territory, and the media relations can be your mouthpiece. I know sometimes if I'm interviewing a coach, I've been a college hockey beat writer in this area for two different D1 programs for uh, ten years now. I know there's times that the coach is talking to me and he's trying to send a message to his team through me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. If it's a worthwhile yeah. quote and it goes into my story, then, then I'll use it. Not necessarily trying to promote his message, but that was the story of the game. And that's what we talked about in the post game press conference or during the, the week on, on advances. But those guys, Belichick and Saban, it's brutal, you know, and, and, and I just, I, I disagree with it. I think they come off as pompous and arrogant. Even Greg Popovic down in San Antonio, he's been yep. very rough on some of the TV people. Um, you know, I had a situation years ago on a much lower level on the rookie uh, rookie A-ball team that plays in the Albany uh, Capital Region, the, the Tri-City Valley Cats. They were the Astros minor league team up until this past year when they went independent, and they had a manager named Stubby Clap. I told <laughs> you I was going to name names. Stub. 
And so I think if I recall the situation, I asked him about why didn't he make a pitching change when he did? Because mm -hmm. it blew up. The bullpen blew up. The starter was going well. And his response to me was, well, what do you know about baseball? You're, <laughs> you're, you're just a reporter. You're not a manager. You're not a player. My reply, I, I asked the question again. What I wanted to say was, hey, I was an 11-year-old pitching phenom in Northern California for Mervyn's <laughs> department stores championship team. So I'm a ball player. That probably wouldn't have worked, but that was my, that was probably the worst one. I had a player get mad at me with the old, uh, the Albany devils, the AHL team um, guy had two goals in a game and was busting his tail on a shift. They were down by a goal. Albany was in the third period and he got called for interference while in the offensive zone. It was just a case. He was trying to make a play. It was a hustle play, and he got he whistled, and they gave up a power play goal on, on the other end, and the game was over. I asked him about it after the game, and he got mad at me. I'm like, well, one, you're a professional hockey player, and you took a costly penalty, and I get how it happened. I just wanted to get his perspective. Right. Walk me through the play from your eyes. It's just one of those. It was an unfortunate penalty, but it was still huge, And you, but you have to ask the questions. Whether they like it or not, they can answer you any way they're going to. Yep. You have to ask the questions. That's that's just from our seat. And Ashley, um, how about you? Yeah, I think, and this is interesting because, Eric, you are the bridge between the two of us. Like, it, you know, we're all kind of in the media in a way, but you are the bridge between the media and us, and then we're on the other side. And we are incredibly grateful for people like you because I know even before coaches and players come to us, they've been like, briefed and cooled down a little bit by people like Eric, which is not an easy job. I think at the end of the day, the thing I always come away with when you get like bad reactions from coaches and or players, it's like, listen, we get where you're coming from, but Sean, you said it like, we have to ask the questions. That's our job. This is part of what you sign up for as a college coach, a professional coach, a college player, a professional player. The media is part of it. Um, and I think colleges are now doing a better job and even pro teams of training people to be ready for different questions you might get. But like, to me, it's just a waste of our time if you're going to be an ASS about a question that we ask. And you know what? Not Just say like, hey, it was a decision I made. I take responsibility for it. I made the call to put XYZ into the game and it didn't work out. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Like, I can respect that. But then for you to come after me, or in your case, Sean, like your credibility as a reporter to say like, you don't know anything about baseball. You don't know anything about hockey. I get that it's coming just from like an angry standpoint. Um, but it's tough for me to be insulted by someone who is whatever. There's a lot of emotions. Emotions are high. The only story I have, and it's, it's so different because it's, um, it involves a kid. So I won't use the name. It's a high school football team we covered. And this is a football team that's like pretty far out of our section. So, I would go there once a week, make the drive, cover the team. They get all the way to regionals in Kingston um, for like the leading up to the state championship game. And they lost. And so all year long, we've given this team pub, pub, pub. They've won. It may have even been their first loss of the season at this point. And there are cameras lined up and the camera just stays on your shoulder. It's not, like you don't take it down. You're just kind of we're waiting for this kid. He's hugging his parents. He's very upset, obviously, on the sideline. And we're waiting for him to see if he would give us an interview. 
He apparently thought we were shooting him. I don't know if some of that people were. I, I was not. Did it really matter either way? No. But he turns around while standing right next to his parents and says, get that effing camera out of my face. <laughs> and I kid you not, we were t- 10, 15 yards away from this kid. So we were not like encroaching on his personal space. We gave him time to kind of have this moment with his, you know, with his family and I just, I literally was like, wow. Cause not only have I been, I've never been talked to that, like by anyone that way, but a kid that way. And I just thought to myself, holy crap. If I ever said that to someone mm-hmm. and I was standing next to my parents, my dad probably would have knocked me out. He literally <laughs> would have just like, pooh, right in the, right in the face. And so that was the one experience that I was like, oh my God. We spent all year giving this positive coverage and I didn't even, I would have said like, Hey, would you be willing to do an interview? I wouldn't have, you know, been just like stuck the mic in his face and done whatever. Um, but that was one where I was like, Whoa, this is what we're getting into. Again, tempers run high. You're not going to hold it over the kid for his whole life, but you get into those situations where people say things and they may not mean it, but at the end of the day, like that leaves a lasting impression on me. And that doesn't make me ever want to cover you again or your mm-hmm. team again. So those are kind of the things that I've come away with. And maybe I could think of other ones along the way. I've had some instances with college coaches. And again, it's just like, they say something in the heat of the moment that they probably regret. But again, that's something that I'll remember for a while because there is that personal relationship. I like to think sure. like, when you're in, even in the heat of the moment, you can say, okay, well, this is Eric or this is Ashley or this is Sean and kind of be a little more logical and level-headed about it. But, you know, things happen and whatever. That's really the only bad one I've had. There is a professional sports league, and I hope the big, the other big three, if you will, do this, that has a rookie camp. And it's not about being on the court or on the ice or on the field. It's about training them because they're about to get a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so they actually have a bar restaurant set up with actors or actresses of what could happen, a financial advisor, and they have media training. I mm-hmm. think it's phenomenal. Yeah. I've heard of it. I did not attend that. But I think every every league should do that. I think that's great. The, the other bug that we have that will throw last piece for me is injuries. Okay. There was a time when in my media notes, I could say the, the trainer report like that, his name was Dana. So I said the Dana trainer report, I would put Sean Martin, right. Oblique probable Ashley Martin left knee contusion out. I would define it. And I believed in that because if you hide your injuries, okay, all of a sudden they'll say, boy, he didn't play well. And they'll dump on the kids, especially in college. But the trainers and put him into place and all of that. And so it's like this. Mm-hmm. So now when you ask a coach at any level, it's an upper body injury, <laughs> probable. Yeah. Well, that's like saying partly cloudy. Right. Okay? It may be sunny, but may not. Probable to me is the person that says no opinion on a poll. Not a fan of that. I'm old school. I think an injury should be reported because, again, I don't want to see a sophomore in college have people dumping a kid, right. a professional athlete who was playing hurt because they didn't know. So, and you watch film, you too, right? You're going to see the kid come off mm-hmm. with his elbow hanging and he's probable and it's an upper body injury. Well, you, you have circum, but by the way, today is the 14th anniversary of Mike Gundy's I'm a man, I'm 40 speech. How timely is that that we're talking right. about this? 
And I'll go back to that for a second, because if I, I, I didn't reread the story, if I recall, a, a writer in Oklahoma State in Stillwater had blasted one of the uh, OSU star players and had cited him um, standing out at a car after a tough game that he had with his mother and his mother was feeding him chicken soup. And that was kind of the impetus of it. I think she kind of made a narrative that um, the reported did that he was soft. Well, he, he was sick and his mother was giving him soup to make him feel better. And that's what helped Gundy go off. Reporters got to be also careful because there's a just a basic word you live by. You don't become part of the story. You report mm-hmm. the story. So when I'm doing an interview, I'm working a story. I'm just trying to tell the story. I don't want to be part of it. I have no interest in it. When I go to games, if I have a coat on, once I get through with my press credentials, I put them inside my coat. I want to be anonymous, right? I just want to do my job and report the game. I don't want to create the news. And I think there's too many people in today's media that like to do that. It promotes their own brand, right? Mm -hmm. And it gets themselves in trouble and it rubs off very poorly on the rest of the people just trying to do an honest day's work. Yeah, I think one last note for me, I'm totally turned off by Bill Belichick. And honestly, I'm totally turned off by Greg Popovich. Not the person he is per se, because I think he does a lot of good for the sport. They both do. Um, But they're like, I wouldn't want to interview him if you paid me a million (laughs) dollars. Because not only is it like degrade, it's embarrassing. Like, and I know he has some relationships, Popovich, with some of the reporters he gives a hard time and whatever. But like, if you're a reporter coming up through the ranks, like I don't want to be terrified to interview anyone on live television. And I would be terrified to interview anyone on like Popovich on live television, because you know, when you ask him, even if it's a legitimate question, he's going to give you some stupid three sentence, three word answer, and then look at you. And you're going to be like, (laughs) uh, what's next? Like, what do I say now? You know what I mean? And that's not a good scenario to be in for anyone. Because you are now stunting, like, the confidence and the career of that person, which bad on you. Like, no, I I have a hard time believing anyone did that to you when you were coming up. You probably got helped by a lot of people. If you're a coach, do do them a favor. Like, this is all part of the gig. Help bring them up. Help ingratiate them into the sport. Help Help make it a positive experience for them. I'm not saying you have to love every question, but just answer it. And if you have a problem with the question, pull that person aside afterwards and say, listen, here's the deal. You asked it this way. I didn't appreciate it for this reason. Just a suggestion for the future. Make that person better. Don't make them feel like super small and then make them hate their job. Like that's not the purpose of all this. That sucks. As as a beat writer, I've asked about injuries and I've gotten a response that we don't comment on injuries. Okay. That's a fair answer. I have to ask you. And that's your answer. That's your answer. Let's move on. It's, It's a professional respect and courtesy thing. Yep. Yeah, he's it's probable, fine. even though he has a cast walking around the arena. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. All right. You ready? It's time. Across the board. Uh, whiteboard segments. Who wants to go first? Oh, I'll, go, you know. I'll go first. You want to go first? Okay. I do want to go first. I've, I've, I have a prototype in. I'm going to try and get this manufactured in the U.S. I can't wait. A brand new remote control. The middle, change channel ASAP. And you know where the motivation and the spirit was from this? Oh, this is so sad. The god-awful ESPN Monday Night Football show with a couple of country bumpkins named Peyton and and Eli. All right. So the opening week, shame on me. I I put the Raider game on ESPN2 instead of ESPN, and, and they're lining up for the kickoff, and these two guys are in their headshot screens talking. I go, what the 
hell is this? Edit. Realized I'm on the wrong channel. My bad. Never happened again. And so I, I tuned in a little bit this past Monday with Detroit and Green Bay. 12 seconds. Okay. Watched a highlight tape yesterday on, on YouTube where you can also find our show, by the way. Um, and I'm trying to figure it out. And look, the show's not for me. It's not my cup of coffee. Ashley and I talked before we came in the air. Yeah, the show is perfect for somebody that doesn't care about the game. Yeah. Right? If, if, if for yeah. Eric, if it's the Patriots, stay away. Run fast right. and run far. I tried to take it in, and I watched the highlight show. I, I'm bothered. Look, when I watch a football game, and this is just me, I love to catch the emotion of the of the game, the crowd, the crowd noise, the announcers who are there telling me what's going on. ESPN, the the, the crowd's muffled on that channel because you're listening to Peyton well, Eli yeah, insult each other's point. foreheads. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't change the channel fast enough. I get the niche audience that likes the Mannings. I don't have a problem with the Manning. I do both of them. Maybe. Anyway. It's like Mr. Get Off My Lawn over here. Get off my lawn. It I just, mean, it was terrible. I don't know what'll happen down the road. There are only a couple shows in. I don't find those two to be the engaging personality types. Although I will give Peyton credit for the one shot about the Patriots mic uh, taking um, uh, microphoning locker rooms. I just didn't. It didn't hit me, and that is a mistake. I will never, ever, 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 ever make again. Well, good. The, my problem with you is you complaining about having options. Oh, God forbid there's an option on ESPN2 for you to watch Eli and Peyton talk about football. Like, you keep it on ESPN1, and the rest of us who are yeah. maybe interested or maybe not. Look, my entire philosophy on life is a double standard, so thank you for your exposing oh, that. Good. All right. Well, perfect. Now that we've got that sorted out, Eric, I'll be interested to see where you stand on this. Listen, I agree. This It's a totally different setup. You're not watching a football game to watch the football game. And that's the point is to give somebody something else to do. So week one, I had no real interest in Raiders Ravens. Um, so I, we flipped it over very quickly and we watched for probably 20 minutes to a half hour. And Eric, I said this to Sean off camera before we came on here. I said, it's almost like, you know, when Tony Romo first started doing analysis with Jim Nance, people were so enamored with it because it was unlike anything they had ever heard. He was calling plays and breaking them down before they happened. It was like, it was blowing people's minds. This is very similar to that. Like this is taking people inside the huddle and Peyton and Eli are breaking things down and forecasting them before they happen, but also just like explaining things to a whole different level. So this is like a football fan, but it's like on speed, like you're inside of it and you're getting all of this crazy knowledge. I loved it because I'm just blown away by their intelligence. And it's no different than I thought about Tony Romo. Like these guys are so freaking smart. They've played the position for 20 to 30 years and they just know so much about it but they're also pretty funny. And I think the country bumpkin thing like plays into it a little bit. Like they're just kind of dopey guys, but they're so freaking intelligent. And you can tell that based on this broadcast. And that's all it's for is like taking a deep dive, bringing guests in, making it fun. Like Gronk was on making it fun. I loved it. I wouldn't watch it. If the say the giants were playing, I wouldn't watch it. Cause I want to watch the game. It's funny because I looked and viewership was up 118%. Okay. I know I'm older and I'm looking at the younger crowd and I can see why people would watch this. But oh my God. I, That's awful. But let me look at it this way. Okay. Peyton is personable. 
outgoing. I've seen him in a, in a setting at our convention, and he had won an award, academic award, and he stayed. He hung out with people. He talked to us. You could joke with him. I said, I'm sorry. I'm from New England, but I do respect you. And he smiled and laughed. He he didn't have to do that. He's just personable. I'd rather see him be the per, the uh, permanent host of SNL. I mean, he came to life when he hosted SNL. You didn't have to hate Manning or hate the team. He had the personality. And, and so that's what this is about. Eli just seems so quiet and unassuming. But yet the one person that could bring him out is Peyton. And Archie Manning, I don't know, you know, where these kids came from because Archie Manning wasn't like Peyton. But for the people that are into it, I think it's about the people that are on the show. And uh, I'm going to take a good look at it a little more so. But as I said, I've always been a Peyton fan, and I think any type of uh, platform that people can give him, I don't think he wants to limit himself to a studio analyst or being an analyst uh, on the road, as right. Drew Brees is now doing, uh, and you know, retired quarterbacks usually get a shot at that. Nobody called Philip Rivers, but uh, I, I do think that, uh, you know, the different personalities, but what Peyton has done and how he can take this and run with it, if it's bringing younger people into the sport and it's energetic and it's fun for them, then so be it. But I do want to see him do more sitcoms and things like that. Peyton Manning is a special character. And the last piece is look at his sense of humor. When Tom Brady, who respects him, went to his Hall of Fame induction, and he goes and he says, "Tom, when you're here in 2048, I'll be <laughs> here for you." It's great. Yeah, I, I just they, liken it to my first and only foray in my life with Brussels sprouts. <laughs> nope. Oh not my for me. god! See, that's the difference between you and I. I love Brussels sprouts. I love everything about them. <laughs> love everything about them. Oh, one funny thing that I wanted to so in that broadcast that we were watching, they put up a text from Archie. In it, so Archie texted, I believe Eli, and Eli then relayed the message to Peyton. It says, "Mom says tell Peyton to stop touching his face." <laughs> so like he must have he kept like you know whatever, and so like that is funny. Like that, just the inside knowledge of like you know their mom is like every other mom. Like he she's watching on TV and is like Peyton, stop touching your face. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> it's funny. Anyway, Eric, you want to anyway. go? You want me to go? Okay, uh, as you know now, the shtick each month is a number, and it leads to a fun discussion. So I need to come up with a jingle, I guess, but today's number is 21, 21, like the year 2021. Now, there are many tremendous sports stars who have worn uh, the number 21, okay? And I'll throw some, and I'm really looking forward to who you two folks come up with. So now, when I say Clemens and Sosa, there'll be eye rolls, okay? We know about that. Won't go there. Bob Lemon, Warren Spahn, legendary Hall of Fame pitchers years ago. You have Dion. You have Garnett when he was in Minnesota. And I believe this, David Pearson, okay? He's second all-time in NASCAR career wins, three Halls of Fame. He had a Mercury with the number 21 in NASCAR. So that should count. But here are my top three. And they all played with just one franchise, all did a lot. And all are class acts. Number three, might surprise you, is Stan Makita. Okay? He's one of the 100 greatest okay. players in NHL history. Led the league in scoring four times. Tied the league's season point mark in 67. 97 points back then was a big deal. Nine-time All-Star, two-time MVP. Third in career scoring when he retired. All with the Blackhawks. And I think it's safe to say he's one of the most iconic stars in the history of sports in the Windy City. 
Number two is Tim Duncan, considered the greatest power forward of all time and definitely one of the best players in NBA history. I was fortunate enough to see him as a rookie. Now, a tremendous career at Wake Forest, won the Wooden Award, and, I mean, hold your your seat. He stayed in college for all four years. Who does that anymore? 27,000 career points, one of only three with 1,000 wins with one team. Awesome stat. Five-time NBA champ, two-time MVP, three-time final MVP, 15-time All-Star, 10 times All-First Team, and, of course, the Naismith Hall of Fame. But number one has to be, to me, Roberto mm-hmm. Clemente. Every year since 1971, the Roberto Clemente Award has been given to the player who best represents baseball through extraordinary character, community involvement, philanthropy, and positive contributions on and off the field. And, of course, we're, he's best remembered for his tragic passing in the plane crash, New Year's Eve of 72, when he was carrying relief aid uh, from his native Puerto Rico to Nicaragua after an earthquake. The Pirates immediately retired the number 21, and the Hall of Fame waived its mandatory five-year waiting period, unheard of, for his induction. He even received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And then on the field, 18 years, all with the Pirates, 317 batting, 3,000 hits, exactly. Also an outstanding right fielder and definitely one of the best arms in baseball history. And he tied Willie Mays for the most gold gloves for an outfielder with 12. 12. So September 15th is Roberto Clemente Day in Major League Baseball. So to me, folks, when you have that as your legacy, you are number one with 21. Thoughts? Ashley, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, I will go, listen, I always say I tend to go a little more modern for some of these because of who has influenced my fandom. Um, And and I try to go different sports just because it's, to me, like the top players for me in those sports. So I'm going to go Dion number three because Dion Sanders, uh, he was such an influential part of my football fandom at Florida State and then with the Dallas Cowboys. So for me, and and he was a two-sport athlete. So that for me was kind of a cool thing. Um, and he was, he was prime time. So he was right. one of those guys who was flashy and crazy and loud. Um, and there's just so many memories that revolve around him. So I went, I go Dion at three Duncan at two for me, for all of the reasons that you mentioned, he, he was one of those guys that like, he just did everything the right way, but was never like overly in your face about it. He was one of the best of all time at his position and yet somehow I think kind of underrated still, despite winning five titles in San Antonio, which is wild. Good Number point. one, same for me as you. I think when, like you said, you have an entire day devoted to Roberto Clemente and when people are wearing, they can choose to wear 21 because of him. The on-field stats to me are great, but it's so much more than that. He did, he's mostly remembered for all the stuff that you talked about, all the philanthropy, all the good that he did in this, not only this country, but this world. So for me, he's at the top. I didn't have the pleasure of seeing him play other than in like highlight tapes. Um, but when you get to that level of, of good, to me, that's your number one, no matter what. Yeah, Ashley, I agree with your three. I love prime time, even back at Florida State. Boy, was he fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he just, and, and the flash and the bravado to back it up. Uh, and Tim Duncan, the reason why I think he is underrated for his career is he didn't have that bravado that mm-hmm. that Dion had, right. and that just wasn't his personality. 
But the man's nickname was the Big Fundamental, and he was just unbelievable and solid and steady and sound. But number one is the same with Clemente. I, just you look at the circumstances around that plane crash, and he was going to help earthquake victims. Um, to me, if uh, Major League Baseball, I'd retire that number. Not that you want to make a big thing out of doing this. You do Jackie Robinson. I would do Clemente and do Hank Aaron with with his uh, you know recent passing, mm-hmm. and it would be more than justified. And Clemente, if, if as we're talking, I'm thinking Clemente is one of the guys. Who are the athletes that I was just too young to appreciate? I got mm-hmm. into baseball during the '72 World Series, Clemente season that ended. Never got to see him play. Jim Brown and Gail Sayers are the first two that pop into mind with with Clemente. Um, and there's number 21 that, yeah, look, folks, I'm a homer. You know that by now. I got to mention this. Two whiteboards for me. Speed kills, baby. Cliff Branch, number there 21 you know. for the Raiders. He's a Hall of Fame finalist this year, the biggest game breaker in the uh, in the NFL in the 70s and in the early 80s. Hopefully he gets in, uh, gets the call to Canton. Unfortunately, he just passed away. Uh, in the last year or so, and uh, it's overdue. But uh, that's for my special, my sports memories. Cliff Branch certainly gets that call. I I don't know if we'll find uh, where when I do the number of the month where I can find somebody three guys who all played with one team, but also all did something special. We know what Clemente did. Well, Stan Makita formed the American Hearing Impaired Hockey Association. Hmm. It's not a lot of people know that outside wow. of Chicago. And Tim Duncan has the Tim Duncan Foundation. Mm-hmm. So. We're talking about three very special characters, three very special people. And I love your choice of Dion, uh, no question. Just a, a phenomenal two-way star and a, and a lot of fun to watch on and off the field. All right, final one here. And I think because this is such a water cooler topic. Oh, look at that light. Ben Simmons. Um, this had the makings of basically what it has turned into. Back when the playoffs were wrapping up, he was all – anyone wanted to talk about because of his struggles, unfortunately, on the court. The guy passed up an open layup in the playoffs to hand it off to his teammate. Like, that's how you know things, particularly in here, are not good. His confidence is in the tank. And yet, he has said he's not showing up to training camp. He will not wear an NBA uniform again until it is with a team outside of Philadelphia. I'm all for player empowerment. I'm all for choosing to be traded, requesting, demanding, whatever you call it, to be traded. You have to do it when your trade stock is high. <laughs> your trade stock is in the dumpster. What What do you expect them to trade you for? Nobody wants you. And this is my problem. Like, If you had gone in the offseason and really gotten after it and helped like work with your organization on the mental aspect of it and the physical aspect of it and go shoot, you know, 500 shots a day and just get your confidence back and then you still want to be traded, fine. But you've now put them in a position where they can't trade you for anything because nobody wants you. So you are 25 years old. You have a Four-year, $147 million deal left, that max deal. You're owed $33 million this season. Who in their right mind is going to trade for you? I just but don't get it. Like, he, it's gone. it's been gone about totally the wrong way. I get if you, you know, you're not down with management and things have, have kind of spiraled out of control since then. But, like, you've got to ask for a trade when you're at the top of your game, not at the bottom. So, to me, this is crazy. The team can withhold his salary and they can start fining him for every media appearance and every practice that he misses. So 
I have to believe that this isn't going to last all that long and that at some point, if the, the Sixers really dig their heels in, he will be back in a Sixers uniform because what else are they going to do? If they can't trade him, they're just going to start finding him and you have to play. He's going to lose something crazy like $200,000 a game or $230,000 a game every time he doesn't play. Like, you have to play. Okay, he, he can take 500 shots a day and if they're three-point attempts, he's going to hit all of zero. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know. Well, he's not a three-point. I'm not asking him to shoot threes, but, you yeah, know, he's a guard. Shot, he's, a guard. Game. he's a guard. You got to be yeah. able to shoot the ball if you're going to play in that league. I'm sorry, that matters. You can distribute, you can facilitate, fine, but sooner or later, they're going to they're not going to cover you. Yeah. Okay. The the biggest problem I have with Ben Simmons is number one, he's got a contract, like you said. Uh, number two, you don't like the reaction from your fans and the, and the media criticizing you. Don't blame them. Look in the mirror. You were terrible in the playoffs last year, and that's just the reality of it. So what are you going to do about it? You're going to whine about it and whimper and ask for a trade? Like you said, Ashley, who wants you? Or are you going to toughen up and be a pro and try and get better and, and make things better? Because if you show a value, then, yeah, then they can move yeah. you. But right now, no one's going to touch that contract. And I, I don't know who's advising this poor guy, but uh, maybe you should call Eric. <laughs> this is where I'd like to sit down in, in my history and sit down with an agent because I did that once. Uh, mm -hmm. We had a player who was being pushed for the six-man award, and they said, Eric, you're not promoting him enough. And I said, well, when he turns down six different community efforts, okay, I'm trying to get him closer to the fans by having him come to these events. I've got the swag in the car, shows up, 10 minutes, I don't care. Media people will see that. That's what Simmons needs. But unfortunately... He has burned every possible bridge to get out of that city. It is a team. It's not the 76ers of old. They are a contender. They've got a good club with some talent, and people in Philadelphia are excited about it. But you do that in Philadelphia. We've yeah. talked a lot today about New York. Okay, Philadelphia booed Mike Schmidt. Yeah. Philadelphia booed Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah. Snowballs I mean, at Santa Claus. I don't think the worse. Pope has ever come to Philadelphia because he'd probably be booed as well. So he. The agent here and the advisors have to, uh, I don't know if this is uh, repairable at this point. As a right. PR side, uh, we would offer to say, let's get him out and to the hospitals and the community. That's the only thing I could do that I would think of that would help to show that he is a good person and wants to be there. But uh, this is beyond a dumpster fire right now. And, <laughs> and it's very unfortunate for the organization, uh, especially the way that the, that the Sixers have come back as a contender. Yeah, I just don't see it working out well for Simmons. Maybe it works out for the Sixers at the end of the day, but I don't see it working out the way Simmons plans it to work out. So, anyway. Yeah, maybe we can send him to Minnesota or someplace anonymous. But uh, uh, I saw some breaking news, too, by the way. We'll do some breaking news. This is exciting. Uh, Antonio Brown has been placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. He can test negative. I believe it's a 24-hour window. He has to test negative twice in order to be eligible on Sunday, but that would certainly change maybe the abilities of Tampa's offense were he not to play Sunday against the Rams, so we'll see what happens there. Hopefully he gets over quicker than his frozen feet. <laughs> Speaking Don't of Antonio Brown, now we've seen people like him that get second, third chances. So yeah. there are NBA teams that will take mm -hmm. a second, third oh, chance no and say – 90% of the time you bring a guy like that in and then suddenly he's great again. Yep. Oh, isn't it funny how he plays so much harder and now we all love him. Yep. So there is somebody in that lead that will take a flyer. Lawrence Phillips. We we have Clemens when he went to Toronto. 
the players that have chip on their shoulders when they put on a new uniform. Oh, everything's so great. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I don't doubt that if he likes his situation better and if he proves that like he's willing to work, I don't doubt that someone will take a chance on him, but you have to prove that you are improving yourself. You know what I mean? You can't just be like, well, I don't like it here. And I, I know my game isn't good right now, but I want to go somewhere else. He's reduced his own market is what yeah. he's done. Yes, that's exactly. right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in everybody. Another week of Eminem and M across the board, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, at MMMATB1 on Twitter. Sean, are you going to announce the winner of that Paisons? Uh, I actually, I don't have that in okay. front of me. We have a um, winner from Paisons, though. We will reach out to the said person who won the yeah. gift card and make sure that they get it. And hopefully we'll have some more giveaways, uh, you know, later on this year. All right. All right. Sounds good, guys. It's been fun. Join us next week at MMMATB1. Ashley, Eric, and Sean. We'll see you next week. And to quote Bill Belichick, we're on to Miami. <laughs>